Leaders from government, business and civil society are gathered this week in the Swiss resort town of Davos, where they have come together to solve some of the most pressing global issues. In this special edition of the Investec Focus Radio Davos Debrief, we bring you the latest insights from our people on the ground at the World Economic Forum annual meeting. The CEOs of Investec's South African and UK operations, Richard Wainwright and Ruth Lees, are in Davos and will be sharing their learnings with Business Mavericks editor Tim Cohen in a series of three podcasts during the event. Let's listen in to their first conversation. Hello everyone, welcome. This is the first podcast that I'm doing with Richard Wainwright and Ruth Lees from Investec Bank South Africa and Investec Bank London respectively. My name is Tim Cohen. I'm the business editor of the Daily Maverick. It's a thrill to be here in Davos. We've only been here for one day between us. It's been hectic. Things have been happening. It's snowing. There's thousands of people. It's very exciting. Richard, maybe you can sort of lead us into this. Give us a sort of sense of the place and what's happening this year. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, I arrived this morning amongst the thousands of people. I was joined by a few South Africans on the plane last night. So for me, it's great to be back. It is my third visit. And once again, you feel absolutely privileged to be part of this process and discussions with such elite people. So the sense on the ground that I could pick up from the first days it's actually a little bit more positive than I, I would have expected. Okay. Um, but some very, very interesting conversations going on. Today, I spent most of my day on uh, geopolitics, mainly around Europe, among some other things. Uh, but it's been interesting so far. So a good start. And Ruth, have you been here before? Is it new and interesting and enticing? It's actually my first time here, Tim. So I'm very excited to be here. As Richard says, really, it's a privilege and an honor. It seems to be very well attended. I'm not sure what it's like, been like in the past, but I think this is the first winter forum since COVID, and people seem to have really turned up in the masses. Listening to the talk around the rooms, people are passionate about what they're listening to, passionate in their opinions on what to say, and really a great stretch for the mind. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There are about 500 CEOs here. There's about 3,000 participants. It's the organizers tell us this is the biggest one that they've ever had. There's only one leader from a G7 country, which is which some people have commented about. But the president of the European Union had spoke today. The deputy president of China spoke. Yeah. The president of Spain spoke, or the prime minister of Spain. So it's not like they're short of global leaders. And the business representation is extremely high. And it did start off with, with a cut of warning, which maybe you can tell us a little bit about polycrisis and what you understand by polycrisis and why that's an issue here at the WIF. My take on the term, and I hadn't heard it before, is the convergence of global risks happening at the same time, which has a compounding effect on what's going on around the world. So if you think about the major risks that uh, we're all facing at the moment, uh, geopolitical risks, the war in the Ukraine, and the opening up of China now that was previously closed, shifts and changes in uh, supply chains and the impact that that's having on economies, inflation, the fiscal limits that countries are facing, all these risks converging and almost at the same time, and the potential compound effect of that. Right. But having listened to a few of the sessions today, my sense is that people are now expecting the recession that's coming in the world is not going to be as deep and as long as people were expecting, I would say, a few months 
Right. So that's my sense on, on those risks. To add to that, I think it's less of a crisis and more about transformation. Listening right. to Klaus Schwab and others talk, while they're referring to polycrisis, they are referring to a number of transformations that are all taking place at the same time. Climate transformation, transformation to lower interest rates, higher inflation, geopolitical shifts that are going on, changes in supply chains, uh, movement from just in time to just in cases we read in the article yesterday. So really a period of massive transformation, all happening as Richard says, converging at the same time. But I think what's helping to minimise those risks, my sense, which is the theme of this conference, which is around collaboration in a fragmented world. I think global leaders, whether they're you know, public leaders or business leaders, have recognised this fragmentation that we've been through with the war and the pandemic and the changing in supply chains and the threats that those bring, is you get the sense here with the leaders that you spoke about on the same stage, all talking about collaboration being a solution to these issues. Yeah. Now, whether that you know, transpires into real actions, time will tell. But at this forum, what you're hearing from global leaders is the need to talk. Yeah, which sort of ties in in a way with the number of people who are attending. You know, you can sort of see the utility of the WEF is actually making its presence felt. I mean, there are lots of criticisms about WEF, as we know that it is a meeting of a lot of very rich people. There's a hundred billionaires here, but nevertheless, it's no, we don't want that. Ruth, um, the climate crisis, of course, a big topic. It has been a big topic at the WEF now for you know uh, almost a decade. You went to one of the discussions on it. How do you think? it's changing. I get a sense that although people are, you know, very conscious of it, very worried about it, it's slightly overshadowed. People have slightly put a peg in it and slightly overshadowed by some of the more pressing issues like the war in Ukraine and inflation and so on. Is that your sense or do you think people are still already consumed by it? I wouldn't say they're consumed by it, but it is still very much there. Right. The war in Ukraine and what's going on there is also very much there. You know, this has probably been the strongest since coming through today of the incredible united support of the rest of Europe for Ukraine. In each and every talk that I've been to, whether it's been, you know, Prime Minister from Sweden, whether it's someone from Moldova, whether it's somebody Ursula, you know, from the European Union overall, each and every one of them is standing up and saying, Ukraine, we are with you. We will do what it takes to the very end. And hearing that come out loud and strong. And then on the on the climate side, I do find that each Talk does actually drift back to that, whether you're talking in private equity, yep. whether you're talking in women in finance, uh, you know, you certainly do drift back to that topic. I did attend the talk that had Al Gore there, which was incredible to see him in person, albeit a few years have passed. <laughs> I say that diplomatically, looking at a little bit older, but he did say, he referred to the economist Rudy Dornbush, who said that in economics, things take longer to happen than you think they will. And then they happen faster than you thought they would. And he spoke of this happening in all the years that he's been involved in climate transition, change, uh, green changes, that things have been happening slowly, but now, you know, picking up with pace and there is transformation happening and the change is coming along. Yeah, I'm always curious about whether Al Gore starts his talks by saying, I told you so. <laughs> when you, you can't say that, you know, you, but you, but the fact that he's on the stage, it means that, you know, he did it. He, did he, did he was very passionate as always. At one point, he didn't say he hit his own button. Oh, really? I think the button is that he still sees 
the support from the oil and gas industry, lobbying the U.S. government very, very strongly, and he does see that as a major hindrance to the way that they made an exceptionally emotional and passionate. Richard, the, I mean, it was a big day for leaders today. It's, it's the opening day. Ursula von Leyen, the president of the European Commission, spoke. Liu He, the vice premier of China, spoke. And uh, the prime minister of Spain, Pedro Sanchez, all, all spoke. It's extraordinary to have three high-profile leaders speak on the same day. Was there anything any of them said that stood out? What was interesting? Well, I think on the European Union side, as, as Ruth mentioned, the absolute uh, conviction and strength of the message of unity of Europe in dealing with the Ukraine crisis was very powerful. It was an extremely powerful message. Um, and then she spoke more around uh, global collaboration and sovereign autonomy. Yeah. There were a number of speakers that spoke about sovereign autonomy and the potential risk that has for collaboration. And what, the, what both the pandemic, the COVID crisis taught us together with the Ukraine crisis is that you can't, each country or region can't be too reliant yeah. on one supplier or dominant supplier. And so companies and countries around the world are trying to balance that. But at the same time, they recognize the risks that that provides. Okay. So being able to talk in open forums, balance that approach. The other message I think we got from the Chinese leadership, and certainly I got, was he was very much about, interestingly for me, free markets, uh, the China coming back into the globe, yep. recognize the position that, that, it, that it holds and the impact that it has on, uh, on, on the global growth agenda. And some of the policy frameworks that they spoke about inside of, of China, and that, but a lot of it was around embracing free market principles, as I understand. And I had that commented to Ruth halfway through his presentation. I said, it's, it's strange listening to a communist <laughs> in a very senior role. I mean, it was, uh, you, you could almost hear the messages, we're back and it's going to be okay. You know, it was a very conscious pitch to re-sort of integrate China into the, essentially the kind of Western or ambit, if not as a, you know, uh, necessarily as an ally, but yeah. but as a collaboration partner. Uh, very contrary what, from what we've been hearing, yes. you know, thus far, I mean, he was talking about working together to safeguard world peace. Yeah. He was speaking about China not going to be a planned economy, but the importance of the mix of the private sector. So, yeah. you know, it really was textbook what you want to hear from China yeah. today. We need to see, you know, what actions come and, he's, and, and he spoke about China getting back to its normal growth pattern. It's been a yes. Now, we all know if China achieves that, the knock-on effect to the rest of the globe yeah. economically is, is immense, yeah. given its size. He spoke about, actually, most of the changes having already taken place in China to yep. identify any issues with real estate or overheating and that he does see stronger growth coming through yep. soon. And he was very specific about what problems were and how they were trying to fix them. But, I mean, you do get a slight feeling that there's quite a lot of, uh, you know, that it was a bit propagandistic, you know, that the, uh, you know, that there, is there... In fact, uh, a, a journalist uh, accosted us just as we walked out the door, yeah, right. but uh, we were a little careful. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> the Chinese <laughs> <laughs> was a uh, definite posturing. Uh, yeah. But it's welcome that it's, that, you know, that some of your seniors seem to saying this in, in this kind of forum. I mean, I thought the interesting thing about Sefinder Leiden was how she was talking very passionately about how 
climate change could be an economic opportunity. Um, she had just sort of a kind of numeric breakdowns of how many jobs this could create and how, what, a, what an enormous opportunity is. And she was talking about legislation that they're introducing and a sort of little spat with the US about subsidizing climate change. Ruth, you went to the, the Women in Finance meeting. What was the mood? Are there, is there sort of confidence about gender equality in banking? Is there confidence within the banking system? How, how would you assess it? This was a very interesting grouping, Women in Finance, from within the World Economic Forum. It was a relatively small group, but representing a huge amount of finance in the world. Uh, you had leaders from Temasek, GRC, Wellcome Trust, uh, various insurers and banking, so various financial institutions, Ministry of Finance, etc., coming together, uh, very content-based in terms of the conversation. There was a lot of talk that there has been a lot of progress in the public markets, right? but far less progress in private markets, in hedge funds or in private equity. And you can see here that asking questions does actually lead to behaviour change. And they were talking about this transformation starting to begin now, also in the private equity industry, where more and more questions are being asked and LPs are now becoming very interested in making sure that they do think about inclusion okay. for women and for minorities in, in their activities. So still some years to go for change, but they do see that there is change coming. You know, And there, there are many females now in major positions, Richard and I were both commenting earlier today in terms of prime ministers, in terms of leading these very large institutions and coming together in these informal ways as well is helping to drive change and inclusion. We can't really ignore Ukraine, and we've spoken a little bit about it. I mean, as you were saying, Richard, there was a, there's lots of support. I, I mean, I, I wonder how far that goes, though. You know, the um, obviously the European powers are interested in supporting Ukraine. They don't want Ukraine to lose, but they also don't want to, presumably, they don't want to turn this into a larger conflict than it is already. Do you think there's sort of concern about that or is there more worry about Ukraine losing? No, my sense is um, the European Union together with the United States. Ruth and I were in a session where there was a congressman from the United States giving the support to the European Union and directly to the Ukraine. My sense is that uh, they will do what it takes for the Ukraine to win. Okay, to get to the point where the Ukrainian people are ready to negotiate on certain terms and conditions for a peaceful set. That's, that's my sense. Um, and it was a very, very strong message that came from uh, the Prime Minister of Finland. I would say I was in a session where the, the Prime Minister of Belgium was there together with the Economic Minister from uh, Germany, uh, the, pre- the President of Moldova, and together with the head of the European Commission. Very, very strong support. And all of them also indicated support from outside of, of uh, rural Nate. So there are other countries giving support, yep. like New, New Zealand and Australia, yep, like yep. specifically mentioned. Coming through very clearly today for me in many of the sessions is the threat to democracy and how the te- democratic states under no circumstances wish this to happen. The threat's coming both externally and internally, and Ukraine is seen as an example uh, which we cannot let go as, you know, values that it stands for. And this is a real threat to the world that everyone has got to make sure that Ukraine wins. It's just amazing. It's amazing the the degree of unanimity between all of the European states and the speed with which they've acted. Really, it's this existential issue. It is very strange, you know, from coming from South Africa to be on a continent where there's a 
you know, there's missiles flying over people's heads. I mean, it is... Uh, I, mean, I, I don't think there's anything that's united the European Union. Yeah. For me, it's been quite astounding, actually. Yep. They've been united also in terms of energy. You know, these countries, all of us, have had to take massive increases in energy prices yep. to stay off Russia. And Europe has adjusted very, very quickly, knowing this, this will be a pass-through of high prices in energy because of uh, the reliance, you know, on the unreliable partner of Russia, and they've taken the medicine. Right. They've already adjusted very quickly to bring down, you know, that 100% dependence to a much lower percentage in many, many countries, and they have taken high energy prices as a consequence of this to support democracy, to make sure that democracy wins in the end. And energy prices have come down. Yeah, this which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the hints that we got was, the United States, together with the Gulf states, have assisted Europe in avoiding an energy crisis this week. Their, their tanks are 90% full and gas prices are down. So, you know, there's been a lot of successes through this yes, yes. Collaborative, collaborative effort, not only within Europe, I would say outside of Europe too. Interestingly, Tim, no one's talking really about, through our sessions today, about recession. We're talking about democracy. We're talking about Ukraine. We're talking about... Uh, climate change and, and green transition and uh, various financing activities, but not really drilling on recessionary. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because the World Economic Forum does do a survey of people who come here. And I always think this is a very interesting survey because uh, this is people whose direct responsible job it is to make economic predictions rather than the IMF or the World Bank, who, who are organizations external to any, you know, accountability structure, yeah. really. And they are, they are kind of gloomy, I thought. The report that came out was kind of gloomy. What do you make of that? About two thirds of the respondents still think that there will be a recession next year in a global recession. And 100% think there will be a recession in the US. 90% think there will be a recession in, in Europe. Is that too gloomy? It seems too gloomy to me. It, it, it may not be. It depends how deep and how long. Yes. You get these. You can get a technical recession you in a, you know, a negative GDP for two quarters, which is a recession. But if it's not that deep and you get out of it quickly, which is the sense we're getting here, right? that's less gloomy. That's difficult, yes. I mean, it has a knock-on effect for everybody. Uh, it's not nice going into a recession. But if it's, if it's a soft landing, we get out of it quickly, which is certainly the sense we're getting in the conversation we've heard today. Right. That's not that bad. So maybe the doom game is lifted a little bit. Certainly getting the sense corporates are under pressure, margins are definitely under pressure. However, get the sense people are still focused on the longer two, not getting drawn into the noise around us today, but still making sure to focus on sustainable development goals, inclusive growth, focusing on the big topics of our day in spite of slow down economically and recession. So dealing with that, but still keeping their, their eyes on strategic vision for the long term. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I think they would concede, even the people who think that there is going to be recessions, they, they, would, they don't see it as a deep one or a long one. And it is a very unusual recession because uh, labor markets are still quite buoyant. Yeah. In, um, so that makes it a re recession of a different type to the kind of recessions that we've had in the past, maybe. I'd say it's very different from the global financial crisis, you know, in terms of recessionary times where everything was hit at the same yeah. time. And particularly banks like ourselves for the last 10 or more years have become more and more resilient. And this will be a recession into which banks are able to actually lend 
Right. So it's not a banking crisis in the same sense. I think there are a number of dynamics here that will be very different from what we saw in terms of coordinated slowdown back in the global financial crisis. Tim, I heard um, Larry Fix on uh, Global Trade, and he's the head of uh, BlackRock, which is the largest asset manager. And he spoke about what has caused this inflation round. And there are a couple of factors. We all know it's been the energy crisis and the impact that's had on inflation. But what he pointed out is when countries are rebalancing their supply chains, what they try to do is create more resilience. The minute you try to create more resilience, means you have alternative supplies, which means it costs more. Right. So that's a consequence of the COVID pandemic, or yes. what we learned. So you've got that factor affecting inflation, which is affecting the recession. But those will start to balance out as these major economies deal with the resilience issue, whether it's, you know, Europe dealing with resilience around energy uh, or the US, you know, diversifying away from China. Right. But if it's diversifying in a, in a, in a holistic way, whether it be Mexico, Canada, South America, Africa, um, or other parts of Asia, they're not going to benefit to those economies. Overall, his sense was that this will be a softer landing. As, as these forces of, of change are happening at the moment. Um, and that's kind of, these are the, the, the convergence of the risks that have caused this recession. All right. Well, thank you both. That's been fascinating. Obviously, this topic of the economic prospects, you know, it's important to everybody here. So there's, there's going to be a lot of discussion about it. And we'll pick it up when we uh, meet again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this Investec Focus Radio podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to rate us and subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA on your podcast platform of choice. We'll be back tomorrow with the second episode of the Davos Debrief. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.